This podcast may contain content that is graphic and disturbing in nature. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome everyone to today's special episode. I'm Anna Thomas and I just want to share with you another podcast which I really rate highly. It's called Tapes from the Dark Side, hosted by an amazing podcaster named TZ. His show is so well put together and he has this very quiet, soft voice which is just so easy to listen to and he keeps me hooked with every word. So I really wanted to introduce you to his show if you haven't heard it before or you haven't listened to it before because I really think it's worth listening to. It's one of my favourite podcasts to listen to. It never disappoints. He just knows what he's doing when it comes to putting together a podcast, unlike yours truly. So I'm sure you're going to find that his level of production is just really, really good. His show mostly does multiple episode cases. So the episode that you will hear is the first of eight episodes. So I hope you enjoy Tapes from the Dark Side. Tapes from the Dark Side contains descriptions of violence and sexuality. Listener discretion is advised. Alright, and we wrote a song last night and we uh, are recording it for our third time. Um, I did it with my mom! <laughs> And uh, what is your song called? I Love You, Daddy. You ready? Yes! Alright. I remember when you were happy. Oh, my daddy. The voices that you hear singing are Lainey, who was once married to Daniel Shaver, the subject of our episode today, and one of their two young daughters, Emery. Tuck me in bed one more time You were mine January 18th, 2016 should have been an ordinary Monday for Daniel Shaver and up until 9pm that evening it was but that fateful night the 26-year-old Daniel was gunned down by a group of law enforcement officers in the hallway of a hotel where he was staying for work Daniel was unarmed, wearing gym shorts and a t-shirt, crawling towards officers on his hands and knees as instructed. One of the officers, Philip Mitchell Brailsford, who fired the fatal shots, later contradicted the facts as we now know them to be, and said that the real reason Daniel was crawling towards them was to gain a tactical advantage. Daniel had suffered a knee injury in the weeks prior, and he was still recovering from this injury. He was also wearing loose-fitting basketball shorts, and when those shorts began to fall down, he reached his right hand towards his waistband to pull them up. That's when Officer Philip Mitchell Brailsford fired five rounds from his AR-15. All five struck Daniel, puncturing his neck, back, left chest, thigh, and one bullet grazed his cheek. 
The bullets that punctured his chest and back struck his left lung and heart and caused massive bleeding into the left chest cavity. This is according to the autopsy report from the Maricopa County Medical Examiner's Office. Daniel would be dead in a matter of moments. He bled out on the hallway floor as the officer searched his room finding no weapons besides for two work-issued BB guns that he used during his job as a pest exterminator. Well, Daniel Shaver's worldly problems had come to an end on the night of January 18th, 2016. The journey through hell for his wife and children was just beginning. Everyone has a bit of a fascination with the dark side. I myself have always loved the dark side as well. I think it's something that everyone secretly longs for and wants. Daniel, 26, lived in Granbury, Texas with his wife Lainey and their two daughters, Natalie, who was six, and Emery, who was four. He worked in pest removal, and one area he serviced a few times every month was in Mesa, Arizona. In fact, he traveled there so much in the recent months that their family was considering moving to Mesa. Now, Mesa's 15 hours west of Granbury, and so when Daniel would travel there, his company would put him up in a hotel for the night. That might sound elaborate for pest removal, but you'll see that Daniel was something of a specialist. He would show up in the early hours of the day to the big box franchise stores, and one area he was trained in was bird removal. He carried two air rifle-style pellet guns in his vehicle for such a task. They're not nearly as pricey as an actual rifle, but they each ran a couple hundred dollars, so an obvious target for anyone scoping out cars for an item to boost. And that's why Daniel took his rifles with him into his hotel room every night after work. Just the same as he did on January 18th, 2016. The tragedy of this case is that the whole reason Daniel was in Mesa in the first place on that particular day or any other was to provide for his family who he loved so dearly. Was a musician. He loved to play bass. He was super talented at pretty much any instrument that he picked up. It was actually almost frustrating how talented he was. He was extremely funny. He loved to make people laugh. He was kind. He went out of his way all the time to help homeless people, people broken down on the side of the road, helping push their car. Um, but most of all, he was a amazing father. He loved his children, Natalie and Emery, more than anything in the world, and he sacrificed his life constantly being on the road to provide for them while working, and that required him to be gone all the time. Um, but when he was home, he made up for it because he poured himself into those girls 24-7, to the point where sometimes I miss him. <laughs> Lainey would later write about her husband. He was madly in love with his two daughters. He worked hard and sacrificed so he could provide for us. Our oldest, Natalie, six, is a true daddy's girl. 
Emery, four, misses her dad and cries for him during the night, asking, why can't people come back alive? On a Monday night after a routine workday, Daniel retired to his hotel room at the La Quinta Inn off of Superstition Springs Boulevard in Mesa, Arizona. And with his two air pellet guns broken down and in their respective hard cases, he entered the hotel and the elevator and made his way up to his room. He made a couple friends at the hotel who he had met on one of the elevator trips up to his fifth floor room, which was not a surprise to anyone who knew Daniel. He was a gregarious and outgoing man who could disarm you in a second with his easy smile and effortless small talk. One of the women that he had made friends with was Monique Portillo. That particular night, he had invited Monique and a man who was her colleague, Luis Nunez, to his room for drinks and light conversation. Daniel had ordered a pizza that night, and by all accounts, it was a somewhat festive atmosphere. So, tell me what happened tonight. Do you know the guy that was I in don't the know the guy personally. It was just like, we're all in here for um, a training, which was me and Luis and some other people. That It was like nine of us in a group that was in um, a training today with Paul at Dollar General on Apache Junction. Okay. And then we came back to our room like later on tonight. As soon as we were going up to the elevator, we met this guy named Daniel. He said his name was Daniel, the guy that got shot. Uh-huh. And he's like, hey, you know, like, come and have a shot with us. Like, And who did he invite to go to his room? Me and Luis. You and Luis? Yeah. Was it just you and Luis in the elevator? No. No, it was some other lady from Pine Top, but she didn't. She got off on the third floor. Okay. And so she got off went, on the third floor. And yeah, then you and then went, me and Luis, we were stationed on the fifth floor, and he was also stationed on the fifth floor. So he was more closer to the elevator than we were, because right. my room was 510 and Luis's room was 512. We now know that it was more than just a couple of drinks that Daniel had partaken in as his blood alcohol level at the time of his death was between 0.27 and 0.29. At above 0.20, you can expect to see confusion, staggering, and possibly even blackouts, so he was well on his way to tying one off. While relaxing and chatting in room 502, Monique saw the pellet gun hard case and was naturally curious. At first, she thought maybe Daniel was a musician. He had like a big, it looked like, because I used to play orchestra for four years, so it looked like a big instrument suitcase. Uh-huh. Inside the instrument suitcase was a gun and a dead sparrow, but he told me that it was a rabbit that was in there, If it just in case it smelled. Is this a real sparrow? Yeah, it okay. was. And I looked at it like biblical because I'm Catholic. I was just like, that's not right you know like why would you kill a sparrow and so i just went with it you know whatever guys are guys i just thought it was a part of hunting whatever did you know it's a sparrow or did he say it was a sparrow he said it was a sparrow it was a bird yeah it was a dead bird inside and so and then he started going on about that he was on um a business trip with walmart and he was supposed to kill all the birds in walmart that flew in there with his Being a man who was enthusiastic about his work, Daniel was eager to show off his pellet gun. And this is where things began to go terribly wrong. Daniel removed 
removed the weapon from its case, assembled it, including the scope which he utilized occasionally during his work to pick off stubborn birds who had become trapped in the big box stores. Luis asked if he could handle the gun, and Daniel showed him how to line up a target using the scope. And I was like, don't point that at the window. Like, I even touched the gun and I said, don't point that at the window. And I got the curtain and I even, like, moved it because I thought about it after a while. And I was were they like, pointing at the, did you see them? Yeah, they were the pointing window? at the window. And I was just like, don't point at the window. And then, like, I even moved it because I was scared, like, they were going to hurt somebody because everybody was under the influence of alcohol. Because uh -huh. we all took a shot. It was a moment of unfortunate timing as the two men were pointing the tip of the barrel near the fifth floor hotel window there were two other hotel guests by the outdoor pool in a hot tub on the ground level from what i could find these pellet guns do look somewhat similar to an actual rifle especially to an untrained eye and out of context i could understand how this might be an alarming sight Lakita inn employee leticia jimenez was approached by the two hotel guests they informed her they could see an individual holding what they thought was a rifle with a scope, quote, pointed out towards the window. Leticia then asked Jeremy Johnson, a La Quinta Inn employee, to call the police and she went upstairs to investigate. We now know that most of the hotel staff, including Jeremy Johnson, who made the 911 call, knew Mr. Shaver and were well aware of his occupation. And that is why the 911 call that Jeremy placed at 9.13 p.m. is all the more tragic. Jeremy could have easily explained to Leticia or the police that Daniel was a pest exterminator and that he knew the rifles that he carried into the hotel each night were mere BB guns and not actual guns. So Jeremy Johnson worked for La Quinta Hotel. His girlfriend, I believe her name was Stephanie, also worked for the hotel. Danny had befriended them and actually spent over like $100 on food for them the night before and the night of his death. In fact, Jeremy does um, admit this in his statement, but he also failed to mention that he had been drinking on the job with Danny that night at the hotel. He and his girlfriend were actually the last two people up in the room before Monique and Luis were invited into the room. He knew what my husband did for a living, he knew what kind of gun he used for work, and he knew that my husband was friendly, non-violent, and not threatening anybody's life, and yet still failed to mention any of this to police. So La Quinta absolutely has liability in this case because Jeremy lied to police and didn't tell them about any of this, but I got him recorded on the phone because he called me because he had guilt, and I recorded the whole thing and he admitted this. 
Yeah, that's the room that he's staying in. Okay. Have you seen the person that's staying in that room? Hmm? Have you seen the person that's staying in that room? Yeah, but I can get you their name right now. Okay. And what is their name? Hey, where's the map? Where's the map of the... You keep showing it to people to show them where to park. Yeah. Yeah, Daniel Shaver. His name spelled like it sounds. S-H-A-V-E-R? Yeah. Do we have a date of birth for him? Uh, no. Have you seen him at all? Hmm? Do you, have you seen him at all? Yeah, I've seen him today. Is he black, white, Hispanic, or native? Uh, he's white. He's a white male, ginger hair. Okay. About how tall would you say he is? I'd call him about 5'8". And his weight, approximately? Letitia had arrived at Daniel's room on the fifth floor to check on things. The door was ajar and she could see Daniel standing in the room with the two individuals he had mentioned previously, Monique and Luis. She saw Luis and Daniel holding the pellet gun. Daniel noticed the new visitor at his door and walked towards her, closing the gun's hard case with his foot. Instead of inquiring about the pellet gun, Curiously, Letitia asked Mr. Shaver whether he had enjoyed his pizza dinner he had ordered earlier. She said Daniel acted a little confused, which was most likely because he was wondering why she made the in-person trip five floors up to his door to ask such a question instead of maybe just phoning the room. Daniel told her everything was fine. She left and he closed the door. In a fair and just world, this is where our story would end. But instead, at 9.18 p.m., six Mesa police officers arrived heavily armed and in tactical gear. These officers were the aforementioned Philip Mitchell Brailsford, Christopher Doan, Richard Gomez, Brian Elmore, Brian Cochran, who were all taking lead from Sergeant Charles Langley. One of the officers, Richard Gomez, spoke with Letitia and learned that she had allegedly seen a rifle in Daniel's room. Richard failed to ask, however, what the individuals in the room were doing with the rifle. He didn't even ask if they were actually pointing it out the window, as reported. And then Sergeant Langley, who was the commanding officer, without speaking to any of the La Quinta Inn employees himself, directed his team to advance on room 502. Before heading upstairs, the officers secured Daniel's vehicle and established a perimeter around the hotel. One officer stayed downstairs and provided coverage from the parking lot on the exterior window of room 502. Officer Philip Mitchell Brailsford, or as he was known among his colleagues, Mitch, which is how we will refer to him from now on, and four other officers comprised the team that went upstairs. Mitch was armed with an AR-15 and was tasked with providing lethal coverage. Officers Christopher Doan and Brian Elmore also had their weapons drawn initially, but Christopher would later switch to Taser when Mr. Shaver exited the room. There was tension in the air as the five-person team boarded the elevator and made their way to the fifth floor. Now, just before the task force hit the fifth floor, there were three people in Daniel's room, yet one of them would make an exit. 
Before the police arrived, Luis received a phone call from his wife, and he exited the room to take the call. He didn't know it at the time, but this phone call could have possibly saved his life. And Luis left me up there because I don't know anything about guns, you know, like uh-huh. I'm clueless or whatever about guns or whatever. I knew it wasn't right, but I just, I stayed in there with Luis because Luis was there, so I felt comfortable. And he's like, oh, I'll be right back. I just need to call my wife. And I was like, okay. So I really thought he was going to come back, and he never came back. On the fifth floor, about 10 feet down from room 502, Officer Langley yells loudly, instructing Daniel and anyone else in the room to exit. Occupant to room 502. This is the Mason Police. Listen to my instructions. I want the female to step out. Occupant to room 502. I want the female to step out. Occupant to room 502. Listen to my voice. Go on our hands to send in the dog. Acknowledge me. Occupant to room 502. This is the Mesa Police. Listen to my instructions, or it's going to become very uncomfortable for you. The female is to step outside of the room. Monique, who was still in the room with Daniel, said she never heard this instruction. As you know, hotel rooms are often soundproof by design, so that could be a partial explanation. One of the cops then made his way back down the five floors to the front desk to call the room, where he made contact with Daniel and instructed them both to exit the room. This officer instructed Monique to exit first, but he did not specify how soon after Daniel should follow. At right around 9.30 p.m., Monique walks out of Daniel's room rather nonchalantly with her purse over one shoulder and both her hands down by her side. Daniel follows just moments later with his hands in the air. It's clear that they did not expect to see five police officers pointing significant firepower at them. Daniel had no way to know at the time that these would be the final moments of his much too short life. I'm now going to play the unedited video from the police body cam of Officer Mitch. We are going to break down the video in two parts the first three minutes and 22 seconds up to the point that Monique is successfully handcuffed and taken into custody. And during the first playthrough, I will not make any comments. I want you to hear it happen in real time. And then we'll go back together moment by moment to clarify what occurs. We'll play that tape for you after this quick commercial break. And if you want to skip the ads and sign up for our premium feed, which also has some after shows and bonus episodes, Go to patreon.com slash tapes from the dark side. We'll be right back. Before the ad today, I want to tell you all about a true crime podcast I think you will really enjoy. It's from Canada, and it's called Dark Poutine. Oh, Canada, a vast idyllic land filled with beavers, loons, lumberjacks, and polite, friendly folks. We have those things for sure, but there's a darker side to the Great White North, full of mystery, crime, the paranormal, and dark history. 
Join me, Mike Brown, and co-host Matthew Stockton every Monday for the Dark Poutine Podcast as we tell dark stories from north of the 49th parallel with the Ottawa game covering more international cases. You can listen to Dark Poutine for free wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Who else is in the room? Nobody. Nobody else is in the room? Nobody. Nobody. Absolutely positive. Okay. Since apparently we have a failure for you to comprehend simple instructions, I'm going to go over some of them again. Okay. Can you both hear and understand me? Yes. All right. If you make a mistake, another mistake, there is a very severe possibility you're both going to get shot. Do you understand that? Yes. Thank you. Yes. All right. What the this is, shut up. I'm not here to be tactful or diplomatic with you. You listen, you obey. For one thing, did I tell you to move, young man? Did I tell you to put both your hands, put both your hands on the top of your head and interlace your fingers. Take your feet and cross your left foot over your right foot. Who else is in the room? Nobody. All right, stand by. We have contact. All right. Are you both drunk? No. No. All right. So you're not going to have any problems understanding anything that I tell you, right? Correct. All right. Can I go to my room? No, you're not going to do anything but come towards us. Okay. Young man, you are not to move. You're to put your eyes down and look down at the carpet. You're to keep your fingers interlaced behind your head. You're to keep your feet crossed. If you move, we're going to consider that a threat, and we are going to deal with it, and you may not survive it. Do you understand me? Yes, sir. Young lady, shut up and listen. All right? You are to keep your feet crossed. Take both of your hands, put them flat in front of you. You are to push yourself up to a kneeling position. Kneeling position. Now, put both your hands in the air. Okay, crawl towards us. I'm so sorry. No, Rich, pull, pull him. this Rich, way. Pull. Let me know when you're clear. Clear? No, you're not clear. You're a Christian. You're not being the same thing as the guy that got the way. Okay? Just be cool and we'll be done. Hey, we're doing that later flat. Okay, I need one more cover up. Now let's go through together and break down the key moments of this interaction. Monique exits the room first with her purse around her shoulder and her hands down by her sides. Daniel exits almost exactly at the same time as the officer begins barking orders. Stop! Right there! Stop! The moment we see Daniel exit, he already has his hands in the air over his head. 
Monique puts her hands to her chest and appears confused. Her body language asks, are they talking to me? From the very beginning, we witnessed the police incompetence. Whoever spoke to Daniel on the room phone told him to have Monique exit first, but they failed to mention how soon after Daniel should exit. If it were me, I would probably assume police would want me in the hallway as soon as possible, not obscured from view in the room. About half a second after the police tell Daniel to stop, he immediately drops to his knees, his hands in the air, in a complete surrender. Before the officer can even finish the sentence, Daniel is on his stomach with his hands stretched out in front of him. Of all the police videos I've ever seen, this is probably the fastest compliance I've ever witnessed. It's objectively clear that Daniel is afraid and eager to comply with the police's commands with no hesitation. Who else is in the room? Nobody. Nobody else is in the room? Nobody. Nobody. Absolutely positive. Okay. Since apparently we have a failure for you to comprehend simple instructions, I'm going to go over some of them again, okay? Can you both hear and understand me? When the officer says this line, we might assume he's referring to Daniel and Monique not hearing his yelling in the hallway for them to exit, or perhaps they took the manner in which Daniel exited as a, quote, failure to comprehend simple instructions. But either way, it could not have been in reference to the command to lie face down because Daniel followed that instruction perfectly, and so did Monique. Now imagine we're in Danny's shoes. He is already intoxicated. This statement from the officer had to further confuse the situation. Okay, can you both hear and understand me? Yes. All right. If you make a mistake, another mistake, there's a very severe possibility you're both going to get shot. Do you understand that? Yes. Thank you. Yes. All right. What the? This is, shut up. Sounds like Daniel tries to ask a question here. He begins with what the, before the officer cuts him off. It sounds like maybe he was trying to say what the fuck, but maybe he was trying to tell the officer about his sagging shorts. It really could have been anything, but unfortunately, the officer tells him to shut up before he can finish the sentence. And then a minor interaction. In the video, you can see Daniel flash his hands in submission. Yet another indication to the police that Daniel was in complete surrender and that he wanted to comply with their orders. Shut up. I'm not here to be tactful or diplomatic with you. You listen, you obey. Daniel then folds his arms, though they are still clearly in view of the police, and his body is still prone, face down, motionless. This minor arm movement prompted this response. For one thing, did I tell you to move, young man? Did I yes, tell you to put both your hands on the top of your head and interlace your fingers? Daniel complies. Again, he has his hands on his head before the officer even finishes his sentence. Take your feet and cross your left foot over your right foot. Who else is in the room? Nobody. All right, stand by. We have contact. All right. Now, what is not clear is at this point, why didn't the police approach to handcuff both suspects? 
Daniel and Monique were both incapacitated, lying face down with their feet crossed and their hands on their heads. I've seen hundreds of police interactions where the police would approach at this point and handcuff the suspects. Are you both drunk? No. No. Alright. So you're not going to have any problems understanding anything that I tell you, right? Correct. Alright. It's hard to say why Daniel lied about being drunk. Monique might not actually have lied if she only took one, maybe two shots, but we do know Daniel's blood alcohol level was at 0.28, which is at extreme intoxication. In the video, we can hear Daniel scared, breathing heavily. In Arizona, telling a lie to a police officer is technically a crime. It's called false reporting. But it's nothing more than a misdemeanor charge, and it falls just a hair short of the death penalty. Can I go to my room? No, you're not going to do anything but come towards us. Young man, you are not to move. You're to put your eyes down and look down at the carpet. You're to keep your fingers interlaced behind your head. You're to keep your feet crossed. If you move, we're going to consider that a threat, and we are going to deal with it, and you may not survive it. Do you understand me? Yes, sir. Young lady, shut up and listen. You are to keep your feet crossed. Take both of your hands, put them flat in front of you. You are to push yourself up to a kneeling position. Now, put both your hands in the air. Okay, crawl towards us. Consider for a moment this instruction. You're on your knees, your hands are in the air, and you're asked to crawl. Now, I don't know if in Arizona they have a different definition of the word crawl, but according to Merriam-Webster and every definition I could find, it literally means to move on one's hands and knees. How you could crawl with your hands in the air defies comprehension, defies the very definition of the word. Either way, you're breaking the instruction. You put your hands down to crawl or you keep your hands up and waddle on your knees, which is not crawling. Yet apparently the latter is what the officer wanted from Monique, to keep her hands up in the air and waddle on her knees. Put both your hands in the air. Okay, crawl towards us. I'm so sorry. Okay. Stop. Now, remember that the officer instructed Daniel to keep his face down, staring at the carpet, under penalty of death. And so while he heard this exchange with Monique, he was not able to see what was going on. Sergeant Charles Langley then tells Officer Rich to, quote, cuff, grab, and pull. No, Rich, pull. Pull, this Rich, way. pull. Took me a little while to figure out what this commotion was about, but after a number of times reading through the court transcript, it appears that Officer Rich stepped in front of the line of sight of Officer Mitch, who was the one providing lethal coverage. And so it seems that Daniel and Monique were not the only ones to have trouble comprehending the police orders that night. Their own squad had trouble comprehending their own orders. Let me know when you're clear. Clear. No, you're not clear. You're a prisoner. Yes. Okay, when you're doing that, lay her flat. Okay, I need one more cuff rope. Okay. 
This is the deal we're going to do almost like we did before. Okay. Okay, young man, listen to my instructions and do not make a mistake. The rest of the video, 88 seconds, consists solely of the police interaction with Daniel Shaver. This is the most graphic and disturbing part of the footage. In it, you will hear the exact moment when a young man loses his life. We'll do as we did in the first half. I'll play for you the 88 seconds unedited, and then we'll break it down moment by moment on the next episode of Tapes from the Dark Side. If you would like to make a donation to Lainey Sweet, her GoFundMe and PayPal are linked in the show notes. And all of our Patreon donations for the next two months, 50% will go directly to Lainey Sweet and her two daughters. Tapes from the Dark Side is an independently produced podcast. It's still basically just me in my closet recording the show. So if you want to help out and donate some money, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash tapes from the dark side. You can select any amount you want to give, and we have rewards and bonuses starting at $5 and up. Every single dollar you give is truly appreciated. I want to say thank you to 2600 and Augusta Trevororum for the music today. You can find all the music featured in the show in our show notes. Thank you to all of our very generous supporters on Patreon. Our newest producers are Angela MF and Alexis Kathleen. Our newest dark star is Ashley Rock and Parole. And our newest darksider is Tina Thomas. Thank you to all of our producers, which if you sign up at the $15 level, you will become a producer and have your name read in every episode. You'll also get a free mug a pin set, and a double sticker pack. Our producers are Sherry Sly, Joelle Simonson, Erica Walters, J.C. LeVay, Christy Ramsher, and Greg B. Thank you so much. Become a producer at patreon.com slash tapesfromthedarkside.